0: We're going to step away from the book of Acts for a couple of weeks, although I'm still going to get it in there. Well, the kids are heading to junior church. Can anybody tell me the first time in God's words? that it's predicted that God was sending a Messiah, that he was sending a savior. Genesis. Three. Give me a verse. We got it right. Genesis three. What? 15. All right. See, put our heads together and it works out. Um, I am going to be reading a lot of Scripture today and and bouncing around a lot. So if you would prefer, take a pen out and just write the references down and listen to it as I read it. Um, I, I usually... I'm mean, usually not real structured as far as I, when I was in high school in preacher boys class, they they taught us that the right way to do a message was three points, a poem, and a prayer. Okay, I mean that was just kind of the formula to, for a good a good message. Um, I, I don't normally adhere to that, and I'm sure that my youth pastor from that day would be disappointed in me. Um, but today we're going to kind of stick to the three points and to and to kind of help stand it, and I. I I hesitate to use this analogy because I don't want to trivialize God's word or God's plan. But if you think of an act, a play in three acts, that will just kind of help you understand where I'm going today. The first thing is Christmas, the promise. The come thou thou long expected Savior. Wearing God's word. Does does it predict the Savior's coming to who, why, and where? Okay, the second act is basically what today we call Palm Sunday. In this next week, uh, we often call Holy Week, but it, it involves all the events leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Where we're, we're going to briefly touch on that today, but we don't want to you know spoiler alert too much for next for Friday night and Saturday. So we'll we'll be brief brief on on Act 2. And then Act 3 is the second advent of Christ. Christmas being the first. And do you know that we can tell you the exact date and place that Christ is going to come the second time? We can. God's Word tells us. We'll get there. That's Act 3. So... No, and I'm sorry, we're not going to do intermissions. We'll just slide from one act to the next to, to keep it moving. Because we are going to also do communion today. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, being Christ, shall crush your head. God is talking to Satan here. Christ shall crush your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. From, from the very beginning, with the first sin in the garden, with Adam and Eve, there was the, 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 the word translated in the Greek Septuagint, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce it or tell you what it is. I'll take the, the commentators at their word, that they know what they're talking about. That, that where, it, where it says, I will put enmity, the, the Greek word translated is Enemy. So from from the very beginning, Satan is the enemy of those that would follow Christ. And we know that that in heaven, from from Isaiah 15, that that Satan said, I will be like you, I'll be like the Most High. He he wanted to replace God. There was already enmity there. There was already an adversarial relationship established. But here... I will put enmity, or or you will be an enemy, basically. Because as Christ followers, we are constantly at war with Satan. You can read Ephesians 6, and even in Matthew, uh, Christ refers to Satan as the enemy. He's not a friend. And we've talked about that before. You can't have one foot in the world and one in God's kingdom. It doesn't work that way. It's either or. It's not both and. You, you, you can't have the best of both worlds. And I don't know why you would think that being of the world would be the best of anything. Let's, let's be all in God's kingdom and understand that he's on the throne and it's his kingdom that we want to serve. It's his kingdom that we want to be obedient to. Here's, here's one of my Acts references, okay? Just two weeks ago we talked about the Holy Spirit is only given to those that obey Christ. In order to receive the Holy Spirit, we, we must obey. One that's a symbol of how much we love God is our obedience to him. But without that obedience, you're not going to have the Holy Spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit isn't convicting you of sin, isn't drawing you close to Christ, you might not be a Christian. Whoa, but I said, I said a prayer when I was a kid, and, and I, I was baptized too, so I must be saved, right? Be careful. Be careful. Those things don't save you. But you will know from your relationship with God, if you have one, and your obedience to Him, people will know. We've talked in Acts about uh, the Sanhedrin, and they all had their their theological PhDs, and how these fishermen, because they were in the presence of Jesus, were able to confound and baffle and, and confuse literally confuse the Sanhedrin because they had been in the presence of Jesus so our question and challenge to you is have you been in the presence of Jesus have you spent time in his word have you spent time talking with him in prayer because that's better than any seminary degree sorry it just is Christ tells us that he tells us it's so but the first time and, and a lot of people would, would have said Isaiah is the first time that we hear of of the prediction of a savior of of Christmas or Christ as the promise as coming as a, as a child but you got it right it's, it's Genesis 3:15. now we're going to go to Isaiah and and most of the references in the Old Testament are in the book of Isaiah well let's turn to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. That would be God with us. And if we look some more in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times, He tried it, and this is reference to the scripture that uh, Dick read for us from Matthew. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation, thou shalt increase their gladness, they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors as at the battle of Midian. And again, that's what the... the, uh, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali is referring to there. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child, now a lot of that's not that familiar because you don't always read that when you, when we're reading the Christmas story. But this is, this is what you'll recognize, verse six. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will test will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You can almost understand from from this scripture why the Jews thought that when the Messiah came... He would throw off the Roman oppressors or whoever was conquering them at that time. But some of this reference is to Act 3, when Christ comes the second time. And we'll get into that. And, And yesterday, in the men's Bible study, we're going through the book of Daniel. You it know, kind of, it's just kind of neat how the Lord does this from time to time. He just, the, some of the verses that we're studying in Daniel chapter 7 yesterday fit in with, with what we're going to, and we're, we're going to read some of those today. Talking about not only his first coming, but his second coming. That's Act 3. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Isaiah chapter 50. Make sure I get my verses right here. 5 through 8. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Um, this, is, this is the Lord speaking of Christ. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other who has a case against me. Let him draw near to me. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God didn't say, Oh no, what are we going to do now? what are we going to do they've sinned and then after that he had to devise a plan on how to get christ here and 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 so that he could be their savior and shed blood and no before the foundations before god created the earth he knew he knew what was going to happen and he had a plan from the beginning of time as evidenced all the way back to to genesis 315 He had a plan before even Adam and Eve sinned. He had a plan for our salvation. That's how much He loves us. And we know that He has a plan for each and every one of our lives individually. But He also had a plan for all of humanity and an option and a a way to seek forgiveness for the sins that we commit against Him. So this, this is... The reason this is so inbred even in the Old Testament and, and interwoven is because before time, God. Before time, God. God knew. God had a plan. And he established it for you and me. We should not take that lightly. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 and 26. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah, excuse me, until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the sixty-two weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined, and you're like, what in the world is that? I've never read that at Christmas time. What are you talking about? How many of you were here when we went through the book of Nehemiah? Okay, you should understand this. I shouldn't have to explain that. I'll explain to everybody else, though, and you guys can listen just to refresh your memory. I I, I couldn't find it in my notes. I'd have to dig longer and harder. But it says, that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And it was something like 780, don't quote me on this because I like I say, I didn't find my notes to get it exact. From the time that Xerxes in Nehemiah signed the decree saying that the Jews could go back and begin to rebuild, until the time that Messiah actually came, Yeah, I don't even want to say the number of days because it wasn't right. But it's, in my mind, it's 1780 or something like that. But I I don't, like I say, don't quote me on that. That's terrible. Um, But it was exactly, the historians know, it was exactly that number of days from the signing of that decree to the arrival of the Messiah. Who says God doesn't have it figured out? It was to the exact date Okay, and when we get to Act Three, I'll tell you the exact date and the place that he's coming back the second time. Okay, God, God's Word tells us. I know I'm getting a lot of raised eyebrows. I'm going to keep saying that just all through my sermon until we get there, just to watch your eyebrows. That's great. I love it. (laughs) It means you're listening, anyhow. But there, there was a plan a very exact and distinct plan that the number of days from the date that that decree was signed to say, yeah, the Jews can go back and start to rebuild Israel or Jerusalem, excuse me, the walls around Jerusalem to the day that Christ came is very precise and very accurate. God has a plan. It's not just willy-nilly. He didn't just throw the stars out there. He spoke them into being, but he had a plan. Did anybody hear this week they paused the Hubble telescope for about three and a half hours. So nor- normally it's moving and constantly taking pictures. They paused the t- Hubble telescope for about three and a half hours. And you know what they discovered? 120 galaxies that they had no idea were there. How great is our God? They, they, all they had to do was slow it down. They stopped it for three and a half hours. How, man, I'm getting goosebumps. How big is our God? How cool is that? And and (laughs) those scientists, I don't know. True, true scientists just blows my mind that they cannot be believers when when they look at what God has created. But um, just how, how great is our God, but how specific was his plan for you and me? Shared in his word for us to know and to learn and understand. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Micah 5.2 But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Micah 5 2. Wait a minute, I missed one. No, oh, that was, I'm sorry, that was Micah 5 2. Malachi 3 1. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now you say, wait a minute, that's a reference to John the Baptist. Well, if John the Baptist was coming to tell us about one that would follow him, who is going to follow him? So this is pointing to Christ, and then at the end of that verse, when it says, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. His Son was going to come. Then into the New Testament, and and I've I've skipped several in the Old Testament, um, for time's sake, because we have Act 2 and Act 3 to get to, and communion. So um, there's, there's many more if you do, if you have a Bible with a chain reference in it, you can... Find all of the occurrences. I, we, we looked at about half of them and we looked at a lot of those that, that we're more familiar with. But when we get to Matthew, I, I'm only gonna read the one in the New Testament because we're so we're more familiar with that at Christmas time. The the gospels are what we read. Okay. Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen. A voice was heard in Rama. Nope, that's chapter two, sorry. Chapter one. I knew that didn't sound right. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And then you can continue to, to, to follow the, the, the scripture about the promise that Christ gave it. The promise was that he was coming. And now in, in Acts I'm going to get another Acts in there. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. And as they also said... Oh, let me start in 10. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He's going to come again, just like he left. He's going to come again. Now, this is not the rapture. When, when the, the, the rapture of the church occurs, Christ will meet us in the air. He's not coming back to earth. That is not his second advent. That's the rapture. The second advent, when he will come to earth and establish his kingdom and reign, will be at the beginning of the millennium. And in a few minutes, we'll give you the exact date when that's going to happen. John 1 has just always been one of my favorite passages in God's words. John 1, verse 14, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ came as a, as a baby at what we call Christmas and celebrate. He was the promise, and he came. He came for what we see as this coming week, all the events that happened leading up to the crucifixion, and then the resurrection act 2 we'll call it hosanna hosanna and i would ask you to turn with me if you would to matthew chapter 21 Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, that Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now this took place, that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying... Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Keep your finger here and we'll we'll get back to to reading the rest of that. I am going to flip back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here we have fulfilled prophecy. God does what he says he will do. You can take that to the bank. We know that God does what he says he will do. And he he sent his son. He said he would do it. He did it. And he said in in Zechariah that he would come on a colt. And that's exactly what is recorded in Matthew 21. Pick it up in verse 6. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitudes spread their garments in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed after him were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. I would remind you, if you would, during the month of Ramadan right now, to pray for the Muslims. And ask God to give the Muslims a dream of the prophet in the white robe. Because they know and understand that to be Jesus. And that gives believers an opportunity to witness because they'll say, Hey, I had a dream. It was a really weird dream. I've never had this dream before. It was about the prophet in white. And that will give them an opportunity to share. Because in most of the Muslim world, you can't offer Christ, but if you're asked, you can respond, and it's not illegal. So pray that during this month of Ramadan, Jesus would give Muslims a dream about the prophet dressed in white. So that Christians might have an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. Sorry, sidebar. Um, moving on. Okay, Hosanna! And then we see here, and the people spread their cloaks. In, in in Bible times, if you if you use your cloak as as surety, you took a loan, and you used the cloak as surety. If you were the one giving the loan, you were supposed to give the cloak back to that person so that they might have it to to keep themselves warm at night so it wasn't lightly that they would throw their cloaks down because they believed that this was the king that this was the messiah this was the one that was going to rescue and save them from the roman rule okay we're going to cut act 2 a little short and go to act 3 Act 3, come the long expected, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, the victor who returns. Okay, spoiler alert, we know that by this time next Sunday, he is victorious over death. Okay? And, and in Acts again, I'm going to keep sneaking Acts in there on you. Acts 2.24, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible to, for him to be held in his power. Death could not hold Jesus down. Amen. Amen. Death could not hold him down. As much as Satan hoped for it, I'm sure Satan had his toes crossed, fingers crossed, arms crossed, everything crossed, just hoping that death would keep him down. Guess what? You lost Satan because Jesus won. Jesus is recturrected. Sorry, that's Act Two. Act Three. But He is the victor. He is the victor over death that will come, that will come a second time. We have the first advent at Christmas, that He came as the promised Savior. And He is coming again a second time to rule this earth. We read Acts 1, 10, and 11. That the Jesus would be taken up to you from heaven. He would come back in the same way. Scripture references to, to, to set up a, a ratio. You, you, all the verses that we looked at in the Old Testament and then got into Matthew and the New Testament of the first advent. For every one verse about the first advent in God's word, there are Eight that talk about his second coming. Hmm. That's that's kind of disproportionate. His second coming is pretty important. In the Old Testament, 17 of the 39 books refer to it, and in the New Testament, 23 of the 27 make reference to his second coming, to the Advent. In all of the scriptures, The only thing that is talked about more than the second coming of Christ is the plan of salvation and the way of salvation. And I think that's very appropriate. Because if we're not saved, we're not going to be too concerned about the second coming. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. We talk about how do I know I'm a Christian? If I'm obedient to the words of God? If I follow him and I obey him? But another thing that should characterize a true believer is an eager anticipation and desire to see him return. And those of us that have kids and grandkids, we say, but Lord, don't come before they're all saved, before they know you. And and as a human, that's, that's our thinking. But he tells us that we need to be anticipating and looking forward to his coming. And maybe that should be even more motivation for us to tell our families, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, everybody that we meet, we need to be telling them about Jesus. So that when he does return, those that he would have are, are believers, Jesus, because at some point he's going to come and there are going to be unbelievers in the world. That's just the way it is. Kind of like we've been talking in, in in men's Bible study, going through Daniel. That throughout history, there has and, and this this may blow your mind. There has always been Satan has always had somebody in the wings ready to step in as the Antichrist, because when Christ returns, he's got three and a half years. If a baby's born that day, he's only going to be three and a half years old. I don't think the world's going to follow a three and a half year old. So we know that all throughout history and time, Satan has been preparing. And you know, we can bring up horror, horrible dictators and whatever down through the ages. We don't know. Um, at one time, in, in, uh, during Martin Luther's time, for many centuries, it was, it was thought that the Pope was the Antichrist, and whoever was the Pope was the Antichrist and was going to be the one to usher that in. Well, that didn't happen. But all through time, and even today, because Christ could come back in a moment, in, in two seconds from now, he could return and rapture us up to be with him. Satan's got somebody prepped to step in, and to step in as the Antichrist. Something to always, in in, in our walk, not not to be fearful of, but just something to pray about, something to pray for. Not only to witness and testify of Jesus Christ to our family and to our neighbors, but Lord, hold back that that one until, until your time is right. I don't think there's any doubt in any of our minds that there are evil men in the world. Satan's got plenty to choose from. Something to think about, to be ready. But we know that he shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. As a believer, we need to be obeying our Heavenly Father, and we need to be anticipating his return with expectation. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come. Even today, come. You ready? It's my prayer that you are. He is going to come again. Daniel chapter 7. had markers in my bible so i could flip quickly and i already pulled that one out of daniel <laughs> thought i was done there okay daniel 7 Verses 13 and 14, and these are the two verses that we were looking at yesterday in, in men's Bible study. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That's why we know it's talking about Christ. Because Christ is the only one that's going to have an everlasting dominion. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Where's he coming back? Zechariah 14.4 Tells us exactly where it's going to happen. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. And in that date, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half towards the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountain, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as he fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him will come back with him to reign on this earth. But he's going when he comes back, as he went in the cloud, he's going to come back, and his feet are going to land on Mount Olivet, and it's going to split to the north and the south, and there's going to be a great valley there. But we know where he's coming back. Now, what you've all been waiting for. When is he coming back? Matthew 24. So, wait a minute. I know. I've, I've read through Matthew before, seen that in there. Okay, I should have marked that one. I thought Matthew was easy enough to find. Matthew 24, verse 27. And 29 to 31, Matthew 24, 27, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, verse 29. And this is the date that it's going to happen. The king's return to earth. and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other so now you know when the day after the tribulation ends okay so now you know god has a plan for all of eternity for all of time that he has created And he came into that time as a baby. And he will return the day after the tribulation ends. He will return the second time to set up his earthly reign. Our junior theology professor back in 1982, maybe. Maybe. He says, You guys want to blow your minds? He said, Time is something that God created for us. God is in eternity. And in eternity, we're already with him. If you just need a headache this afternoon, just sit and try to contemplate that and think about it, okay? That's how great our God is and how vast. And in Isaiah 55, how high his ways are above our our, his thoughts above our thoughts. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a hope, folks. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. And in that hope is joy and adoration for him. He is our hope. He is our hope. He came as he promised, as he said he would. And next week we're to proof. Some more of the proof, Act 2. Okay? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the, the joy that we find in it, the promise that we have in you. Thank you for making a plan, Father. For, for putting us into that plan and, and, and not just the, the whole plan for all of mankind, but you have a plan for each one of our lives on a daily basis, Father. And we know that part of that plan every day is to praise your name and exalt you. Thank you for this time, Father. And as we, as we move into communion, we pray that you would search our hearts and know us, that we would be pure and clean before you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.